Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon. Holy crap, is it almost the end of the year? I think it is and it's scaring the shit out of me. Absolutely. So guys, very, very excited to report we did it. We made our pop-up dreams come true. Oh my goodness. We threw this together so last minute. As you would have heard two weeks ago, we didn't even have a space. And now we have the most beautiful pink palace on Chapel Street where we are housing tube shoes. If you haven't come and check it out yet, please do. We are at 469 Chapel Street. And honestly, we are just having such a great time having a store again. Store life is fun, my friends. It is so fun. I love always having a place to go on the weekend. My friends always know where they can find me. But so I think we ended up signing the lease last Monday and then we just like quickly mobilized the team, got it together. It was a massive four days, not going to lie to you. On Friday afternoon, there was one point where we were like, uh-oh, are we not going to be able to open for the weekend? But then, of course, pulls it together. We just manage. We just keep on soldering on. The team was absolutely amazing. So thank you to everybody who helped make this store happen. You have to check it out. We will be there until New Year's. And we do have another exciting thing that's happened this week. We've actually launched a super exciting competition. So you guys aren't going to believe this, but we are coming up to celebrating one year of How to Live the Podcast. What? I know. That's crazy. Where has that year gone? So on Feb 22nd, it's going to be one year. So we thought we can't just let this fly by. We've basically pulled together the craziest pack from some of the most incredible podcast guests that we've had on this year. I'm talking Sands Beast. I'm talking The Daily Edited. I'm talking Kiki K, Christina Carlson. Vic and Woods, Jamila Rizvi, they're all in there. And this prize pack is worth over $3,000. What? So how can we apply? So we're going to check the link in the show notes. It's super easy. You just sign up and then you're in the running. Amazing. Can't believe it's already been a year. That's nuts. So onwards and upwards today, we have such a special, special episode for you as we head into 2020. We thought we would take a pause and reflect on the year. And we thought, you know, as you come to the end of the year, people are all about news resolutions, which we know can be super hard to stick to. So we wanted to do something that's all around goal setting and bettering yourself and evolving. So Today on the podcast, we have Lane Beachley. Lane Beachley AO is widely regarded as the most successful female surfer in history. At the age of 16, Lane became a professional surfer and she went on to win the Women's ASP World Champion in 1998, 1999. 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, and 2006. Holy crap. I know. That is like so many years. (laughs) She is the only woman in history to gain those seven world championships. And she is the only surfer, male or female, to win six consecutive world titles. So I reckon we can just say she's the best surfer in the whole world. She's freaking awesome. And the thing about her is she's not only an incredible surfer, but she's also an incredible inspirational, motivational speaker. As you'll hear, she has so many amazing insights to offer through her journey. She's done so much self-work and I think that we all just have so much to learn from her. Just this year, she actually launched a new concept called Evolve and it's where she teaches tips and tools to transform your life, which she tells us all about on the podcast. Yes, you are about to transform your life. So we chatted to Lane about 
how seeking external validation is never fulfilling and the things that really will fulfill you. We talked about how to set goals for the year ahead and how you can actually stick to them. And we find out what Lane learned from Matt Damon in the Qantas Lounge, plus so, so much more. Stick around to the end of the episode to find out who's on next week. Uh, so next week will actually be our last episode for the year. After next week, we'll be taking a three-week break. So excited. Holiday. And we'll be coming back with our new time of Tuesday morning next year. The episode will be when you wake up on Tuesday, 21st of January. But in the meantime, here is the incredible Lane Beachley. <laughs> Do you still live in Manly? I do. Oh, cool. Yeah. We don't head to Manly a lot. We're more Bondi people, but we do go to Manly for a very specific reason. And that is a restaurant called Chica Bonita. You love your Mexican. Oh, oh my we do. gosh. Who doesn't love it when there's like nacho fries like that? <laughs> like I remember, I think we had that like four years ago and it blew our mind. Really? Yeah. Well, delicious. you need to get up to Mexicano up at Narrabeen. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, because okay. that's run by pro surfers who obviously know their Mexican food because the California Mexican is actually better than Mexico Mexican. Yes. We that like is so it funny that too. you say that because my boyfriend is currently in San Fran mm. and literally yesterday he said to me, apparently San Fran is yes. like the best Mexican in the world because California Mexican is meant to be amazing. It's really good. Yeah. Yes. So they have based their menu off Californian style or Baja style Mexican. Cool. Oh, okay. And then there's Bar Patron at Circular Quay. The oh, best okay. margaritas, guac and chip. Oh, oh. God, I didn't even yeah. know you were going to be giving chips. us food recommendations. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all around love that. Mexican food. Okay, great. It's my favourite. Um, so we're sure you get asked this all the time, but we just had to start by asking you this. Lane Beachley, was that a stage name that you chose or was it just a beautiful coincidence? You owe me a dollar. <laughs> so I got a dollar for every time I'd heard that, I'd be a gazillionaire. That was like the one thing that we kind of like asked our team, like, what do you guys want to know from Lane Beachley? And like the That's first thing it? was like, is that her name? Are they all millennials? Yes. Yeah. And okay, then they well, wanted that to know makes about sense. Blue Crush and after Gen that. But we'll oh, ask you okay, that later. So, oh, no. <laughs> this is where this conversation is going. Okay. It, it's go, it's going to go in a lot of directions. Okay, so stick good. with us. I'm sticking with you. No, it's not a stage name. I was adopted into the beach-loving family with the last name Beachley and became a pro surfer. So That's awesome. It doesn't get more fortunate than that. It really doesn't. So how did you first start surfing? I was My dad was a surfer. My older brother Jason's a surfer. So I just hung out with them and started surfing and any girl who grows up with an older brother always wants to be doing what their older brother's doing. And, oh, totally. Uh, That's why I'm so good at computer games. Oh, yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can honestly say I'm a whole lot better than my brother. <laughs> we believe you. Yeah, yeah, good. So when you were kind of like growing up and I think it was like four years old or something when yes. you were starting to surf, what did that kind of look like? Were you the only girl out there in the ocean amongst mm. all the boys getting their thing on? Yeah, well, when I was four, I was actually surfing on the harbour side of Manly. I wasn't surfing on the main beach side. I was waiting for the ferries to come in to produce some boat weight just to hone my skills and test my balance and get comfortable on my foamy. And then by the time I was five, I was out on the beachfront. And yeah, as you suggest, I was the only girl out there. There were a couple of, of transient women that came through. You know, Pam Burridge grew up at Manly and she was on the Pro Tour. She's the 1990 Women's World Champion. And when I was a kid, I used to see her out in the water and, and just uh, draw inspiration from just watching her rip it up. And then there was a couple of other women that floated by, but very rarely. It's a, it was a an irregular occurrence to see another woman in the water. 
I've heard you talk about how it was aptly named Manly Beach. Yeah, it is the most appropriately named beach in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. It's very – and it still is quite manly. But to say that, I was out at Freshwater yesterday and there were uh, – there was a bunch of women in the water. So it's exciting to be able to share the waves with um, some oestrogen. Totally. Oh, so cool. <laughs> I'm sure like everything, it's definitely like come a long way from there, but it's pretty amazing that you were kind of like the first there in Manly Beach. I wasn't the first. Uh, there was plenty of women before me who set the scene. Just the best. Well, no, the thing <laughs> is that people often see me as the first because maybe I was the most vocal and uh, the most prolific as far as what I was willing to stand for and what I was willing to allow. So we all set our standards by what we allow and I just didn't allow it to be a male-dominated environment. I just thought I have as much right to be out here as you guys and maybe that was a, a byproduct of my youth, you know, having a male-dominated household because my mum died when I was six. So it was me and my dad and my brother and and I just I saw myself as someone who belonged irrespective of gender. So I didn't ever play it as a victim card or as a, a gender card it was just like, well, I'm here and I deserve to be here and I'm going to stand up and fight for what I believe in. That's amazing. And that's the attitude we all should have because yeah. we all have the right to do whatever we want to do. We do. So. Yeah. Sometimes we're just waiting for permission from somebody to yeah. tell us that it's okay. And like, I feel like that's a pretty special attitude to have as well. You know, so often we can feel like we don't really know our worth. Like, where did that come from within you that you were like, no, actually I can be here and I have every right to be. Can you like stem that from something? I can't distill it down to one particular moment or experience or interaction. It was just something that grew over time because growing up in Manly and, yes, it was a male-dominated environment, it was also an environment where I felt like I belonged. I, I had my allies. You know, I had guys in the water who stood up for me and supported me irrespective of the guys that were harassing me and intimidating and threatening me, which that was a daily occurrence. And every time I went home and complained, you know, my dad would say, dust it off and head back out. And so... Uh, I wasn't supported in my complaint. <laughs> I was encouraged to go and continue to face it. And that maybe is where it all emanated from. Often I see behaviours of people and I, my first question I ask myself is, what's going on at home? Because why is this considered acceptable in society? Whereas if you're getting away with this at home, I can see why it would be considered acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so uh, fortunately, you know, I didn't have a soccer dad. I didn't have someone that was telling me that I wasn't good enough or wasn't smart enough or wasn't talented enough. I didn't have any kind of negative reinforcement. I had a lot of freedom, freedom to fail, freedom to make mistakes, freedom to screw things up, freedom to fall out of trees, <laughs> freedom to just be a kid. And uh, I feel that a lot of those freedoms have been taken away from kids today. That's really, really lucky that you got to kind of grow up in that environment and Very fortunate. dust it off and head back out is just the best advice that I feel like we all need to take, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, dust it off and head back out. Yeah, great. <laughs> did you always have this dream of wanting to be a champion surfer? Yes, I did. But that was from when I was eight years old. Dad told me I was adopted. I decided, all right, if I'm not deserving of my mother's love, then if I become the best in the world, I'll be deserving of everyone's love. And so when I reflect on that period, I say it just, I don't know, no emotional attachment to it. I mean, because I've told this story so many times, mm. but it, you know, when I reflect on that period, I, I realised that there was a lot of pressure that I'd put on myself from a young age. And when I hear myself say that comment, the only way I'm going to become worthy of love is if I become the best in the world at something. I realised how much of my self-worth was wrapped up in my pursuit of success. And in the event that I didn't succeed it, then I was never going to be worthy. So the good thing is that I wasn't relying on somebody else's 
projected opinion of me. It was more my own because I was having a conversation with someone last night about how her dad had always been so hard on her and she competes against the guys and beats them but as far as he's concerned it's never enough and she came second in her first golfing tournament because he decided that it was going to be a good pursuit for her. She came second. She was so excited she came second. He said, you won the losers category. And Mm -hmm. so to have that kind of lack of support at home, I never experienced that. So fortunately, I wasn't waiting for someone to tell me I was worthy. However, the self-worth piece has probably been the biggest lesson that I've learned and the hardest one to learn. And it's cost me a lot of happiness and joy and quality relationships and connections because I was so fiercely driven and fiercely focused. Well, and you must have learned throughout your life, like, was being a champion what really did give you self-worth in the end? No. No. But it's very easy to say that because I was one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know, but I think that that's why it's also just so important and amazing that you're able to be so open about that journey because I think it allows people to fully understand like if they were to look at your life as like oh my god she's this amazing champion and she's still figuring out her self-worth and all the things that every person is plagued with I think that's when we really start to like understand each other and that seeking outside validation isn't what is going to fulfill that for us. And it's a bit of a dichotomy because our egos tell us that we need to be validated. And so we're constantly fueled by our egos. And in the event that we're living our lives according to other people's projected opinions and expectations, then we're never going to feel like we're enough. And if we are constantly subscribing to that illusion, then no matter what we do, we're never going to achieve success and happiness and because we haven't really been able to define it. And then we're not really sure what's wrapped up in it. And of course, as you suggest, I'm still going through this self-awareness journey as we all are, but that sense of enoughness starts with us. We don't have to keep seeking permission to be told that we're good enough, smart enough, talented enough, because everything that, that is communicating with us outside of us is telling us the opposite. You know, the media, magazines, advertising, Just social media. generally. Yeah. And so I feel the biggest deficit that we have in the world today is empathy. And that all stems from judgment. The minute that we go into a state of judgment because we judge what we don't understand, we detach from empathy and we become very apathetic. And if we stay in that mindset, then we start laying the blame, pointing the finger, being very quick to criticise, very quick to judge, very quick to reject. And that produces a lot of disconnection, which is what we're seeing, especially as a result of the social media interaction. I feel like I've become really aware of my own judgments lately. And that's good. I'm super judgmental, or I was. I was when I was your age too. Yeah, like it's just a natural thing that if you actually tune into it, when you're talking to somebody new, you're thinking, do they like me? Oh, they're being weird. You know, like you just have this running dialogue. And what I realize is by judging other people, I'm judging myself and I always end up judging myself through like, oh, they are thinking this of me. And I feel like the more I tune out my judgment of others, the less harsh my own self-talk is. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah, that's really valuable because we judge others based on how we judge ourselves. And like you're saying, it's almost like you're seeing a reflection of yourself. But most people aren't willing to put the mirror up. So the fact that you've become aware is indicative of the fact that you're placing a mirror and going, oh, that's actually me. So what we dislike in others, we dislike in ourselves. But we're very quick to blame and point the finger and say it's your fault 
and you piss me off and you let me down. It's actually you chose those emotions, you chose those thoughts and how you think determines how you feel, how you feel determines how you act. How you act determines the results you produce in your life, yet we're, we're very quick to blame other people for ruining our lives or other people for upsetting us or other people for letting us down and actually it's the thought pattern that you had in the first place that produced that. I was like you when I was a competitor in my 20s. I was very fierce, very quick to judge, very quick to project my expectations of myself onto others and if they didn't rise up and meet them then I was very quick to reject them. Just hearing you speak about this, you know, it's very clear that you've kind of gone on your own like self-work journey and like dived into all of this really deeply. Like what point did you get to where you were forced to start looking into this stuff. it's funny that you asked the question what point did you get to when you were forced to do it yeah and but that's uh, what it feels like it's you're right all of us. it's like what it me. takes oh, yeah because you're you know you're saying all these amazing changes that we should all be making in our judgments and stuff but you hear that stuff your whole life and you just don't really properly onboard it until yeah. you have to like yeah you reach this point like I had to this year yeah. I reached a point where I was like fucking miserable. And I don't like me anymore. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and you reach this breaking point where you just can't go on. Mm. And then it actually ends up being the most beautiful thing to have ever happened. 100%. Because we're like hamsters in a wheel, right? We're running and running and running to get the most out of life that we possibly can. Sooner or later, and it's this, I, I put the analogy, especially for the millennial generation, it's the reason why retailers have stock take sales. <laughs> you know, you work out what's working, you hold on to more of it or you order more of it, you work out what's not and you get rid of it. Sooner or later, we just have to stop and take a little bit of a stock take on our lives and work out what's working, what's not. Those friends who used to be so meaningful to me, why aren't they communicating with me anymore? Or why do I feel so isolated? Why do I feel so lonely? Why is my body so broken? Why am I so mentally exhausted? Why am I so emotionally drained? So just stop, take a deep breath. And because we're constantly distracting ourselves, we're not actually tuning into how we're thinking and feeling. And that's the first thing. The second thing is once you stop and you take a deep breath and you recognize, oh, I feel uncomfortable, instead of immediately reaching for a phone to distract yourself from the discomfort, recognise that the minute you get dissatisfied with aspects of your life is the moment that you'll make change because dissatisfaction is the precursor. And so I just found those moments where I was dissatisfied. Like, yeah, I was fucking miserable. I was sick of the shit that came out of my mouth. I was tired of being pulled up by my peers for being a bitch when it was never my intention. It was just the way I was behaving and I wasn't even aware of it. And they're like, stop it. Stop being such a cow. You know, stop being such a judgmental bitch. Why are you being so harsh? And I was attempting to be funny, mm-hmm. but it was actually really cynical. And I think like often when people experience that, then they put that onto other people. And yeah. like that's, well, that's automatic response. Yeah. Like, oh, it's that, that's their thing. That's yeah, not it's my your thing. shit. I, I mean, yeah, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you hear it over and over again, yeah. you realise, okay, maybe it's not just your shit. Maybe yeah. it's mine too. And, and if you really think about it. That's level of awareness. Because if you really think about it and you stop and you think about it, you know you don't like yourself. Yeah. When you don't like yourself, you know. When yeah. you're being a bitch, you know. Yeah. It's easier to put it onto other people, but totally. you still know deep down. Totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, you do. But we don't want to shine a light on our own shit, do we? We don't want to, we don't want to look in the mirror and go, oh, fuck, I hate myself. <laughs> We're told every day to look in the mirror and go, I love me. I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. And yet deep down, if you're not congruent with that, then that's the stuff you need to look at. And if you want to be a great leader, great leaders have the capacity to actually sit in their own shit, right? Because most of us are expected to go and fix everyone else's shit. But if you're not willing to sit in your own, you're not going to go and sit in anyone else's either. You're Mm. not even going to see it. You're not even going to hear it. You're not going to even create the space to allow people to experience it. So you've got to be willing to do that yourself before you can change anyone else's life. 
So was this happening for you at the peak of your career or post-career that you kind of, of, yeah. During, peak, post, all of it. And isn't that so interesting that it's almost like you had two streams going there was the one that the public saw was just like champion, best surfer in the world. Yes. Love that. Love telling people that we're coming to interview the best surfer in the world. (laughs) And they're like, who is that? (laughs) You're going to interview Stephanie Gilmore? (laughs) (laughs) No, yesterday actually our luggage got lost at the airport with our podcast equipment. And we said to it, it was like 7pm and the guy was so lovely and we were like, do you know who Lane Beachley is? And he was like, yeah, I love her. And we were like, awesome. We're interviewing her at 10am. Do you think there's any way we could get the podcast to come back? And he was like, I'll do my very best. He was on it. Yeah. Well, that's great that my name provides you with a whole lot of leverage. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Phil, at Qantas. But anyway. Yeah, thank you, uh, baggage handlers or whoever it is that's responsible for getting this equipment. Exactly. (laughs) So you had this, you know, stream that everybody saw of you that was like public perception, absolute champion. Mm. And then it's so interesting that the other stream was just the same shit that every single other person is dealing with, which is like, problems with your peers, problems with disliking yourself and all that stuff. And I think that's so important for people to hear is that like we all just have the same things going on on the inside no matter what is going on on the outside. And it's why we need to stop looking externally for validation. Awesome that you did have this experience at eight to motivate you to be a champion. Like that's amazing because you've been able to inspire so many other people around the world. Thank you. But it's just really interesting that that's not ultimately what did fulfill you. No, 100%. And the thing is, that, hello, I'm human. <laughs> Welcome to the human existence. <laughs> yes, I have my shitty days. I have my sad days. I have my fat days, ugly days, stupid days, you know. <laughs> I used to put on a whole lot of masks and being a public persona, people expect you to be what they want from you. You know, they expect you to be how they know you or how they perceive you. And so days when I'm feeling depressed or sad or upset or ugly or stupid or fat, they're the days that it makes it really challenging to walk out and put on the happy face. And uh, so that means I have to actually process where are those thoughts and emotions coming from and what's producing them and how can I get through them a lot faster than the regular human being. So I am willing to sit in it. I am willing to look at it. I am willing to process it and digest it. People see the outcome and thinks it was easy and no one realises that there's a whole lot of sticky, messy, shitty areas that you need to get through. It's called the human existence. And uh, I remember randomly, but I was doing a talk in Aspen and I was talking about overcoming challenges and I actually encountered a whole lot of challenges just to get there because my passport got declined as I was checking in at the airport. So I had to go home and get a new passport and fly out the next day. And then on the way, I was thinking about what am I going to talk about in regards to these challenges? And then I was watching Inside the Actors Studio, which is an interview series from a guy called James Lipton, who was an acting coach and has coached all the best actors in the world from Tom Cruise to Brad Pitt to Bradley Cooper. And uh, he was interviewing Matt Damon this particular night. And he was talking to Matt about the fact that he did this movie, didn't get the credit and the recognition that he expected, questioned his validity, questioned his ability, went back to school, did a playwright course, started writing Goodwill Hunting, then submitted it to his teacher and it hadn't been finished. He said, this is amazing, you need to finish it. And when you've got a Rolodex with Ben Affleck on it, you might as well give Ben a call <laughs> and go, okay. Let's. And Ben invited him over to California and they finished it, sent it out to tender and it created a bidding wall and the rest is history. And, and so I was flying to LA and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to start with Matt Damon's story about overcoming these challenges. And then I got to LA and I went into the Qantas lounge to have a shower and then I sat down to start doing my presentation and Matt Damon walked into the Qantas lounge and so I went up to him and asked, 
asked him the questions about oh my how God. did you maintain that sense of motivation, you know, when you started questioning yourself, what were some of the things that you did? And so he gave me all this knowledge, but then at the end he says, you know what, no one sees the shit you go through. They all just see the outcome and think it was easy. And it's about sharing those challenges because it gives permission to others to endure it too. That's so powerful. And like it just hearing you say that as well, like automatically my mind just clicks to Instagram because I think that that's so much of the problem that we're all experiencing now is now it's on a ginormous level where it's not just Matt Damon that we're looking at thinking how easy it was. We're actually looking at every single person on Instagram and thinking that it was that easy too. Yes. And that's actually a big part of why we started this podcast because we had an Instagram for about seven and a half years and we were those perfect in quotation marks people mm. on Instagram when yeah. like we were really struggling mentally and like it was really fucking us up right. but we were still just presenting this like very glossy thing and then it took us being like hang on a second we don't like this anymore this doesn't resonate this doesn't feel real and I think that what's cool about right now is that so many people are waking up to the fact that these conversations are so important to have to just be completely authentically open about all the messy bullshit going on inside because mm. it's the only way any of us are going to grow and learn. Mm. What got you to that point? Well, we got to a point with our Instagram where we were actually like, we hate this. It, oh, really? It makes us miserable. And so our response to that was, we don't want to do it anymore. And so it was our business, but we took a two-year break from Instagram basically and we were like, we can't do this. And we, we'd started a shoe label. So we'd moved our revenue over from being through like Instagram sponsorship to creating shoes. And we were just like, we want to be behind the scenes, putting ourselves out there like that makes us feel absolutely shit. But then we actually realized that, hang on, like we have this awesome opportunity. And after we posted a few times for a couple of years and we posted this video on Instagram being like, hey, we just wanted to let you know where we've been. We feel absolutely shit. And we were just completely laid it all out there. And then people were like, wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Like I've been feeling wow. that too. And, you know, once, once you open that conversation, mm. people connect with it. Yeah. It all comes down to authenticity. Yeah. Being real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it feels scary, I think, before. Isn't but it? Un until you do it and then it feels freeing. Mm, yeah, it feels liberating. Where do you think the fear comes from? Why is it scary? I honestly just think that like fear is like the thing, like just from day one, putting yourself out there. Oh no, that's scary. Like there's yeah, but like, why is it scary? Now, post everything I've been through this year, every time I feel fear, I'm like, great, that means I should do this. Right. Like on the weekend, I went to a birthday party on my own. Like <laughs> none of my friends were coming and I was like, that's terrifying. I should definitely do it, you know? And like, I felt like and an you idiot did it? half the time. Yeah, I did it. And I felt amazing doing it. And I just like feel like fear is like a test, I guess. Yes. It's like it hits you and it's like you have two choices. You give in to that fear mm. and you actually suffer or you move past it. You're like, nah, I'm not buying this fear. I'm going straight past you. And that's when the good stuff happens. Yeah. Totally. And some, some fears are there to keep you safe and keep you sane. But ultimately, because our fears are predominantly psychological, it stands for a great acronym. It's false experiences appearing real. F-E-A-R, and when we buy into these beliefs and these patterns of thought that keep us stuck, if we don't step into it, it validates us because it's your fear saying, no, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, there's no way you can do this, and then you step back mm -hmm. and your ego says, see, I told you so, you mm. can't, and we'd rather be right than happy as human beings. 
fear is there to stop us from fulfilling our potential. Fear is there to test us, as you were saying, Steph. Fear is there to keep us safe and it's there to challenge us and test us and step us outside of our comfort zone. Fear is essentially if we embrace our fear, it enlarges our comfort zone. But we think that by staying in our comfort enlarges it, but all it does is shrink it because fear becomes bigger. So if you think about there's two circles and the comfort zone's the outside circle and fear's the inside circle, if the fear gets bigger and bigger, it actually starts to absorb all our comfort and we become comfortable in fear. <laughs> so if the first thing you need to do is recognise that you are afraid. Then you have to be willing to acknowledge or accept or at least determine what steps are you going to take right now to confront the fear and then actually take the action. It's one thing to acknowledge it and there's another thing to say, okay, here's my plan, this is what I'm going to do, but then you've got to actually step in. So it's all about the action that you're going to take. Mm. I think for me, I've found it helpful to keep me accountable that I kind of bring people along in this journey Big with time. Me. That's the fourth part of the equation. Yeah, make sure you've got a support partner or accountability buddy or someone, an honesty barometer who I refer to as people who bring the best out of me, elevate me, support me, nurture me, never criticize me, never judge me, but hold me accountable. Mm. They're the kind of people. So I'm in a bit of a state of fear at the moment because I'm in a bit of a comfort zone as far as speaking and, and doing what I do. But I've, I've had this concept around creating you know public workshop offerings and retreats and doing an online training program and all those kind of things but it's very easy for me just to go back to I just want to go surfing and I'm happy just speaking but how sustainable is that and how long am I going to do that for and and how much is it taking away from where I want to be which is more time with my husband and more time traveling and surfing and doing things I love versus just being comfortable and relaxed and going along with the status quo Mm. so when I know I'm in a state of fear, I have a model that I've presented quite often, but and at my Awake to Evolve workshop in September in 2019, I, I present this fear to fun model. To break it down, when you're in fear, all you're concentrating on is how you're going to get it done. But when you're in fun, you're concentrating on why. So when you know your why, that motivates you, irrespective of what's going on. If you're having a bad day, a good day, a challenging day, it doesn't matter because you're really clear on why you're there. But if you've got an opportunity and you start thinking about how am I going to do this, it keeps you stuck in fear. So we really need to get clear on why. And if you're not clear on your why right now, that's okay. Just to start to think about what excites you, how can you teach that to somebody else, why do you get up in the morning? What's your unique selling proposition? You know, what is it that's different about you, unique about you? And then why do you want to bring that to the table? Because I thought about my first world title, I won in a state of love and fun. My second to six, I won in a state of fear. And that's because I kept thinking about how am I going to stay a step ahead? And so I'd bring myself back to why am I here each day? Like, why am I here? Well, I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I'm here to change the status quo. I'm here to improve the state of women's surfing. So those whys kept me in my fun cycle. And ever I went back into how, it would bring me back into fear. Mm, That's so interesting. And I think like just hearing you talk about that, it's so true that like fear is almost like that's our default. Mm. And then we have to work really hard, whether it be every morning when you wake up asking yourself why, but like, you know, we need to work to get out of that, to create the path so that it's no longer our default, you Mm. know, and when we feel it creeping in, we go back to the purpose. Yes. Yeah. And like you say, fear is a default setting. And it's something we've inherited from our ancestors. You know, fear was required and and responsible for keeping our predecessors alive because they didn't have their basic needs met when they were born into this world. You know, they didn't have shelter. They didn't have warmth. They didn't have clothing. They were constantly under attack from saber-toothed tigers and mammoths and animals that don't exist on the planet today. And now we have all of our basic needs met. So we've created psychological fears to replace Mm. 
that survival mode mechanism. Mm-hmm. We think this episode and everything we're talking about is coming at such a great time because as we enter a new decade, we just thought people like to set New Year's resolutions and they don't always stick to them. But Mm. I actually, this year was the first year ever that I had set resolutions and I stuck to them. It was to take control of my body because I'm hypermobile and my body was just like falling apart and I was Mm. like, I'm getting on top of that Mm. and to take control of my mental health. But I just feel like it's so rare that people do stick to their New Year's resolutions. So we thought this would be a really nice time for people to set some intentions. Mm. And we thought we could ask you what you think the key is when it comes to setting goals. First thing is to write it down because you increase your likelihood of succeeding. Second thing is to display it somewhere that's a daily accountability partner because it reminds you of what you're working towards and then share it with somebody. As I said in my TEDx talk, pen, post, proclaim. Mm. (laughs) Write it down, post it somewhere, proclaim it, share it, and that way people can hold you accountable. The challenge that I find with people these days is they set goals based on idealisms, not on desires. And what I mean by that is society tells you you need to be fit, you need to be healthy, you need to be thin, you know, you need to be all of these things. And so I met someone last night who said, you know, I've set the goal and I joined the gym because I want to get healthier and fitter. I said, so why have you joined the gym? She's like, well, I don't really enjoy going to the gym, but I just want to get healthier and, and I want to increase my fitness. I was like, no, really, why do you want to go to the gym? She's like, oh, I want to lose weight. I was like, well, are there any other ways that you can lose weight other than doing something that you don't enjoy? Because you're not going to stick to it if you don't enjoy it. Mm. So find things that you enjoy. It's like how about you find activities that you enjoy or get a puppy and that'll get you walking every day or get a personal trainer that you're going to show up to once or twice a week or find a yoga class that increases your cardiovascular activity such as vinyasa yoga or that'll also build your physical strength and your mental strength. And, you know, yoga has such a holistic approach to physical health and mental health. You know, there's so many other ways, but we just stick to the same way that we've been encouraged from 20 years ago. Society told me that to get healthy and be happy and fit, I need to go to the gym and go on a diet. So basically, I need to deprive myself and do something I hate, push myself into doing something I really don't enjoy. Yeah, that's so true. And it's funny hearing you speak about that because at the beginning of the year, I wrote an intentions list Mm. with little boxes next to it as I could tick because I love ticking things off like a checklist. And I stuck it up on my mirror and I was looking at it the other day and there are probably about like 12 things on there. And the only one last thing that I like have not ticked is meditate every day. And I reckon I've made that an intention for the last like three years. And it's just the one thing that I cannot do. Like I go in waves, like I have three months where I meditate every day. And then like I have three months where I don't meditate and, and I don't like it. Like I just, you know, it's something that I hate, but I just feel compelled to put it on there <laughs> every year. Cause like, I do a lot of yoga and I teach yoga. So mm. I'm like, that's something I should do. Mm. But it's not something that I want to do, but it seems obvious, but you're right. I should put something else on there that would achieve the same outcome. Like, why do you want to meditate? Oh, I want, I want to be more present every day. Like I want to learn how to feel grounded in my life, but there are so many other ways I could learn how to do that. You could walk barefoot in the grass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go to the beach. That'll Delicious. make you feel grounded. Yeah. And are you putting limitations around the meditation? Like, are you suggesting, okay, I want to meditate every day. I have to do it for at least 20 minutes or you maybe know, in your head you are like, maybe if you said for two minutes, 
you would get that done. You yeah, know, maybe. like in my yeah, in my head, minutes. it's ten minutes. All oh, right, okay. So start with two. Yeah, yeah. I or just feel five. like what what you've brought up is so clever because, like, our next question was how do we stick to the goals? But mm. I guess it's not about being accountable later as much as it is about when you set the goals. Like that's the problem is that yes. these goals that people set. Yeah, you set, genuinely want them. That's the point. Yeah. You genuinely need to want to have to achieve them. Yeah, you generally have to want them. You generally have to have the desire to do them. The desire to achieve them must far outweigh the fear of not sticking to them and then that will inspire you to keep going. I guess on goals, when we're kind of setting them, the idea of goals feels funny to me because I know I'm supposed to set them Mm. or I want to set them. (laughs) But at the same time, I also want to be able to feel fulfilled in the present and Mm. not always be looking to something off in the future that will, in quotations, make me happy. Mm. So how do you kind of navigate that? Well, it's interesting that you ask that question because I used to tell everyone, okay, clarify your vision, build your dream team, take actions that get you closer to that. And that was my model for sustained success because that's what worked for me as a professional athlete. Today, you've still got to have an idea of what your vision looks like. Like what does your life look like? And most people say, what's your five-year or 10-year plan? I have no idea where I'm going to be next year, but I know what kind of life I want to live. So if you have that kind of premise or that kind of understanding about, okay, this is what the ideal life looks like. So then you've kind of created a vision around that. Then it's a matter of stepping back and allowing the universe to provide that for you as opposed to thinking you have to control every aspect of it. That's the mistake that we all make, especially as a professional athlete. I felt that I was always in control of my destiny, even though I went and performed in an environment that had all the power or the control or the force over me. And I had to learn to surrender to it. I've done the same thing in retirement. I've actually learned to surrender. So instead of saying yes to that and yes to you and yes to everything, which just leaves me in a sense of exhaustion, resentment and guilt and obligation, does not allow me to bring the best version of me to anything. I've actually started opening myself up to saying, all right, this is what the ideal life for me looks like. Now universe, provide it for me. And I'm just going to keep committing to showing up every day as the best version of me, as opposed to showing up as the best version of what society wants from me. And that's such incredible advice because that allows you to still be in the present and still be appreciative for what you do have in the present. Yes. And rather than every day worrying about how you're going to get these things, Mm. you set those intentions and then you live your life. Yeah, because if you're worrying about the future, then you're constantly living in a scarcity mentality. So you're, you're not going to be enough or happy or successful until you get there. And then when you do get there, you're probably not going to feel that much better than where you are right now. So you're better off just embracing it now. And a lot of psychology and spirituality practice are talking about how if we ground ourselves in who we are and what we are, and then we also believe ourselves to be that already, then we're no longer governed by the scarcity mentality. So that way we open ourselves up to it. So say, for example, you have a scarcity around money and you believe that if I don't work my ass off and pay the bills, then I won't be able to provide for my family and have a house. So aspects of that may be true, but if you're constantly focusing on what you don't have, you will continue to manifest a whole lot of it. And I did that in my early years of my professional career. And, you know, I was 
number two in the world, working 60 hours a week in four different jobs, earning 20 grand a year. And I had a, a very deep scarcity mentality around money. And then I just let it go. I was like, I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing it because I want to have fun. I'm doing it because I want to change the world. I'm doing it because I want to share and learn and grow. And it's not about being able to pay my bills and focusing on the fear of the scarcity. It's actually about allowing other things into my life. And we keep thinking that we have to control it by saying yes to everything in the event that that may amount to or provide for or produce something. And saying yes to everything means saying no to something bigger. Mm. And I guess that's where gratitude comes into it as well, yeah. right? You just got to be grateful for what you have right now. Science is actually saying that to ground ourselves in gratitude, we have to say why. So it's one thing to be grateful, but when you ground yourself in it, you'll ground it by saying, this is why I'm grateful for it. Oh, that's so cool. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's easy to say, I'm grateful for my computer. I'm grateful for this phone. I'm grateful that the microphone appeared. It's just flippant. Yeah, great. Good for you. But why are you grateful? Well, I'm really grateful that this microphone appeared because, you know, we've gone backwards and forwards quite a lot to organise this podcast and I'm really grateful that we're able to do it today. If this microphone wasn't here, we'd have to reschedule again. Oh, I love it. We're deepening our gratitude. Deepen your gratitude. That's really cool. I'm grateful for the clouds. Why? Because it's giving me a reprieve from my sun because my skin's seen enough of it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, we did promise you that we would come back to Blue Crush. And I think you, we said I think that you be- said you wanted to, right? Oh my yeah. goodness. You are I, throwing me under the bus here, <laughs> girls. I think when we brought it up at I the beginning. I think you saw you- my eyes roll into the back of my head so far. But we went so deep with you that I think we earned this little Blue Crush you job, have, right? You have. Yeah. So we just wanted to say, oh my God, we love Blue Crush. We love that you were in it. The Hollywood version or the traditional surf film? The Hollywood oh, the version. The Hollywood version. Okay. Kate Bosworth. Yes. Yeah, we were. <laughs> YouTubing it the other day just to like get a little um, refresh on like your moment on big screen. Psyching out Kate Bosworth. Yeah. So was that really funny for you to go from like just surfer doing your thing to like all of a sudden like Hollywood cameras everywhere? Surfer doing my thing to complete overactor, 100%. It was the weirdest, <laughs> weirdest transition ever. And I didn't get paid a cent to do that film, really? by the way. Yeah, I was just, it was a cameo, blink, you miss it. And they asked me just to play myself. You know, I went up and did a reading for Brian Grazio up in Hollywood in Beverly Hills and obviously I didn't get any part but because I was the world champion. They had to script me in. And uh, I will never forget the day we were filming that bit at Pipeline. So we did the, the contest scene where Kate and Sonoa walk up to, and, and Michelle, I think, all walk up to collect their jersey. And mm. she's like, oh, that's Lane Beach. And I'm like, yeah, hey. <laughs> so, and then I go back to the contest site. And I was asking the girls advice on how to do it. And then we had to pretend that this scene was happening where these big waves were breaking and the pipe was dead flat. And I, and I just remember hearing Ryan Stockwell, the producer, going, look at Lane. <laughs> so overacted the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it was good well, fun. we liked it. Yeah, yeah we liked it. it. Yeah, it's fun to look back and, like, see that you did those sorts of yes, things. Yes, it is fun. Awesome. We always wrap up with some quick fires. Where is your favourite beach in the world? Oh, it, I should be able to answer this very easily. So Manly Beach is my favourite beach in the world. Sunset Beach is my second favourite beach in the world. And then Freshwater Beach in Sydney. Where's Sunset Beach? Sunset Beach is in Hawaii. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, I thought you were going to say pipe and I was going to say I've been there. No. Because of Blue Crush. Yeah. What do you eat for breakfast? Protein smoothies predominantly. So I don't eat, I drink. What's the most inspiring book you've read? Hmm. I read an inspiring book every month. Um, the most inspiring book at the moment is um, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, I love And Eckhart The Courage Tolle. to Be Happy. Awesome. Cool. I'm reading The Power of Now right now. Oh, fantastic. So Get onto A New Earth. It's amazing. Uh, last one. Yeah. What does your ideal Sunday look like? Bed day. Just hang in bed all day. 
Oh, that sounds lovely. Awesome. Well, thank you so okay, much. Thank, thank you, girls. You. Lovely to meet you. Oh, my goodness. That was Lane Beachley, you guys. Have you ever. She is just such an incredible human being. She has achieved so much, but she's obviously done so much self-work in her time and learned so much. Some of the incredible tips that she shared, I just want to reiterate them that, you know, that sense of enoughness starts with us. I think that's so important because we're all looking for where we can find that enoughness. But really, if you look within, stop and take a deep breath and feel into how you are feeling. Oh, like we all just need to do that way more. I feel like we're all frazzled so much of the time. We're and living in our heads. And so busy. And to just stop and take that deep breath can make such a difference. Ask yourself why you are doing something because the why will keep you in that fun cycle. The desire to achieve goals must far outweigh the fear of not doing them and then that will inspire you to keep going. Oh, I'm just feeling so inspired to set realistic goals for 2020. What about you? Yeah, well, it's actually been so funny because since we chatted to Lane about that and I kind of talked about it in the episode, every year I kind of set this intention for myself of meditating and then it wasn't until Lane asked me like, what parameters do you set for yourself around that? That I realized that in my mind, I had to meditate every morning. And here's the thing, guys, I'm a massive morning person. I wake up with a surge of energy. So sitting still for the first 10 minutes of my day is literally my idea of hell. But since she said that, I realized, why have I set that parameter for myself if I just want to meditate and kind of like be in my body rather than in my mind? Why don't I do it at a time that works for me? So I've actually started meditating at nighttime because at nighttime I'm still and it's quiet and I just find it way easier. And since she's just kind of provided me with that shift, it's really helped me. And I've pretty much meditated every night since we were with her. Oh, that is so awesome. I agree. It's such incredible advice. You've got to find what works for you. Like for me, I'm not a morning person at all. I'm really bad at getting out of bed, but I found that if I do my morning routine in bed, then that's a perfect way of like having a productive morning. So if you did get so much out of this episode, we would just love if you would help us to get the word out because that is how we spread the word and get more listeners on this podcast and get more people evolving. So you can do that in a few ways. You can leave us five stars in the podcast app or leave us a little review. You can share the episode with a friend. You can share a photo on Instagram of where you are listening or just DM us your thoughts at how to live. We just love to hear what you thought of each episode. Next week on the podcast, we have the incredible duo that inspires us every day. It's ourselves. Woohoo! Steph and Jess Dadon. We are on the podcast next week for our very last episode of the year. It's going to be super inspiring. We don't even know what it is yet, but by next week, we guarantee you it's going to be good. So that's next week on the podcast. Until then, have a wonderful week. Be safe. Enjoy your festive season. And don't forget to be grateful and think about why. Oh, and come visit us at the pop-up. See you there.